0: Hi everyone, I'm Deborah Germaine augustin New Narratives Membership Engagement Coordinator and Malaysia Team Lead. 2020 was a bumpy ride, but we're already excited for what 2021 has in store for us, starting with a new addition to our team. For the first episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches this year, I sit down with our new Editor-in-Chief, Jacob Goldberg, and we talk about his direction and what members can look forward to under his leadership. If you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com join. Memberships start at just 52 US dollars a year. That's just one US dollar a week. And now here's our interview. Okay, so let's start with an introduction. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure, I've, uh, my name is Jacob, and I've worked as a journalist in Southeast Asia for the last six, six and a half years. Um, Yeah, I've worked as a copy editor, as a freelance reporter, as a stringer for a wire service. Um, And then in in 2016, I became the managing editor of Coconuts in Myanmar, and now I'm the editor-in-chief of New Narrative. I grew up in Los Angeles, and my family was, uh, my family is Jewish and Filipino, and I studied International Development at UCLA where I was first interested in studying the Middle East and then I also got interested in in looking at pro-democracy movements in Southeast Asia and after I graduated I moved to Yangon to try to become a journalist and I lived in in Myanmar for five years which pretty much coincided with the NLD's uh, first term in government which as we unfortunately saw this week, might be its only term. And I lived in Cambodia for a year, and now I'm based in Bangkok. And my hobbies include Ultimate Frisbee, uh, backgammon, watching Star Wars videos on YouTube, and doing a bit of yoga.
0: Um, I, I went to a, a small liberal arts school in the U.S., and we were in very sporty, but Ultimate Frisbee was one of the things that we we actually competed in or I don't know as far as much as one can compete in ultimate frisbee that was my like one of the sports like my college did
1: no it gets very competitive I'm not a I'm not a a master player I just play for fun but it's um, there's (laughs) uh, ultimate ultimate players are very sensitive about people uh, thinking that it doesn't require athleticism um, so I'll just say on behalf of the community that it certainly does.
0: Okay, um, my bad. But yeah, I mean, I, I, from watching it, I think like probably if you did, if you take it seriously, like it, it probably is very taxing um, physically. So when PJ wrote the job description for this position, one of the qualities we were looking for is someone rooted in Southeast Asia. Um, and you, you said your heritage, your family is Filipino as well as Jewish. And how would you describe your connection to Southeast Asia um, beyond, you know, when you moved to Myanmar after graduation?
1: My I grew up in a community and an environment that was extremely Jewish. So to form the roots I have now with Southeast Asia was sort of an, an intentional uh, decision and it kind of a big undertaking that I had to go out of my way to do. Um, so when I was a kid, My siblings and I, we were in Jewish schools, um, and we were always the Asian kids. And I don't think anyone in any of my classes really would have known what the Philippines is, if not for me being there to explain uh, where my mom was born. Um, But as I grew up, I wanted to get um, more in touch with my Filipino side. So I visited the Philippines uh, as a teenager and with my grandparents and visited all my relatives there. And I started over the years collecting stories from my grandparents about a lot of the stages of their life, like their memories of the Japanese occupation during World War II um, and how they were raised in fear of communists hiding in the jungle and um, about the very long process of them moving to California after my grandfather lost his arm in a jeepney accident. Um, And they have a lot of really interesting and sort of mysterious chapters in the family history that I'm still in the process of uh, of getting the full story on. My my grandfather's grandfather was was an African-American. He was born enslaved in Mississippi and he moved to the Philippines during the Spanish-American War at the end of the 19th century. Um, He served as a medic there and he never left because he started a family. He actually started two families and I come from one of them. there's another story about my grandmother's grandmother who was, who I hear, was stabbed to death uh, by a Japanese soldier with a bayonet. Another story about um, scenes from the film *Apocalypse Now* being filmed on my family's property in Laguna. Um, and I'm still in the process of fact-checking and go and. To the extent that I can, going through documents to corroborate some of these things, I, I think the the biggest thing I'm interested in in looking into is um, the the story of my my great great grandfather who was who was born in Mississippi and uh, uh, getting in touch with the side of the family that stayed in America. I'm my family is the odd the odd uh, branch of the family that that spent generations in the Philippines. Um, so out of everyone in my family, I think I'm the one who's most interested in collecting these stories, and they've taught me a lot about uh, colonialism and authoritarianism and inequality in a way that I wasn't aware of when I was living in L.A., and I think that those those lessons are what I would call my my roots in Southeast Asia.
0: Do you intend to do something with these documentations that you've taken down, or is it just more of a personal need to kind of record your family history?
1: yeah, at the moment it's just a personal need to understand uh, where I come from, because I grew up for a long time not not really knowing much about my Filipino side, yeah, like into into my teenage years didn 't really know much, um, and my grandparents don't really tell stories unless I ask them to but the stories they have are really interesting. And they happen to, um, they have a lot to do with my personal interests about, about in journalism and uh, about colonialism. So, so I don't know what I'm gonna do with it. I hope that, I hope it just uh, makes me a better student of these topics at least. But may, maybe I'll tell my, my family story at some point.
0: So you've officially come on board at the start of this year. 2021 after a rather tumultuous 2020 and you know what an interesting way to kick off 2021 coming in as editor-in-chief how are you coping with it so far in this new position
1: it's extremely fast-paced um i'm coping um because i because so far i really love it and it, it's uh, exactly the work i want to do um but there's so many stories i want to cover and i mm-hmm. uh I need to remind myself that New Narrative has a very specific mission, which is to try to galvanize our readers into forming uh, a transnational movement for democracy in Southeast Asia. So, being being uh, out reporting every every snippet of every story isn't exactly what we need to be doing. It's it's important for me to be aware of everything, but to channel all that knowledge into uh, more intentional storytelling that that serves that mission. Um, and the main thing occupying my mind these days is figuring out exactly how to form that movement through our stories, how to tell stories that center people's movements and challenge mainstream narratives about Southeast Asia that serve private and foreign interests over the interests of, uh, of, of, of most people who who I hope, who I hope our, our readers are among. Yeah, and I'm, I'm still learning a lot every day, and I'm hoping to do a lot of experimenting.
0: Yeah, so maybe you could walk us through what you, narratives editor in chief, does, like on a day to day basis. Like, what do, what are your days looking like right now?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I have my hands in many pots, and on a day to day basis, I um, I oversee all of our editorial output, which includes long form journalism, uh, podcasts, research, and videos. So I have basically uh, a couple days the equivalent of a couple days dedicated to each, although they all overlap. Um, So I, along with the editorial team, I commission pitches from contributors. I edit their drafts and I work with them to help them tell the most impactful stories they can. Um, But I also have these big picture responsibilities, which includes uh, improving our workflows, uh, working with you and our community team to make sure that our editorial output serves the interests of the people who, who who read us and consume our, our podcasts and research and videos and comics. I also have to work with the marketing team to plan campaigns to magnify the impact of our stories. And, and uh, I also am I, I want to spend a lot of time making sure that everyone on our little team is fulfilled by this work.
0: Yeah, it's I mean it's it's quite a lot. And as New Narratives editor in chief, you'll be you know you just mentioned you, you're in charge of commissioning pieces. And and you are going to be overseeing mostly the journalism content. But as you said, you'll be looking at podcasts and comics. But let's talk about that. You know, you've been a journalist and reporter since 2014, starting with Myanmar Business Today. Tell us a bit more about the work you've done since then and what you've worked on. And maybe what do you see yourself, like how do you, are you going to bring some of that into new narrative?
1: Yeah. So, when I moved to Myanmar in 2014, I, I probably couldn't have called myself a journalist. I just sent a cold email to Myanmar Business Today asking for an internship, which I didn't know, would have, I didn't know it was going to last more than a few months. I, I thought I would uh, take some time after graduating university to try to be a journalist. And, uh, and if it didn't work out, maybe I would go home back to L.A. But it turned out to be one of the best times to become a journalist in in Myanmar, because it was the, it was sort of uh, the beginning of Aung San Suu Kyi's uh, time in government, which everybody was really everybody was really thrilled by when she won the 2015 elections, and then over the next couple of years, that that change, that sort of reversed um, into a period of disappointment when she ended up being complicit with uh, the genocide of the Rohingya. So, um, I spent a, a couple of years working for print publications as a, a as a copy editor and then doing some freelance stories for some Myanmar outlets um and after doing that for a couple of years i i i was hired by coconuts in myanmar to be their managing editor and that coincided with the the beginning of the of the genocide which i and the the few myanmar journalists that i worked with there saw was was the genocide was accompanied by a a torrent of misinformation. So we kind of made it our goal to combat that misinformation. And we put out, uh, between one and five stories every day, taking something, something false that the government, either the military or the NLD government had put out and correcting it, uh, combating all conspiracy theories that blamed the Rohingya for their own persecution. Um, and we went out of our way to lay the blame, uh, Lay the lay the blame um, appropriately so even though it was the military carrying out the genocide it was Aung San Suu Kyi who was sort of cheerleading it and we uh, we won a SOPA award in 2017 for uh, writing for writing about how An San Suu Kyi was making wartime sexual assault against Rohingya women easier by denying that it was even happening when it when it certainly was um, so that was, my, that was Coconuts, and then after that, I, I, I started freelancing again. And um, one of the big stories I covered was the rescue of the, the, uh, the little footballers from the cave in northern Thailand. So I spent two weeks uh, in the mud outside the cave, um, doing my best to report on a story that, was, that had very few facts coming out of it um, on a daily basis and trying to keep the entire world uh, up to date and satisfied because it, it it was a it was a huge global story and that was my first exposure to that kind of reporting, um, and it was draining, and I think it's probably the I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't do it again um, spot reporting like that but I much prefer uh, write doing investigations and writing and editing long form which is what I turned to after that, and the other big story I did was was for Vice about how the the U.N. and the U.S. Embassy in Myanmar uh, suppressed complaints about uh, a gender equality leader that he had been sexually assaulting women who worked for him for, for years. And it didn't, it, didn't, it didn't become public until the, the, around the time I reported it. So, so by suppressing it, they, they might have contributed to uh, at least uh, six women being sexually assaulted and, and the entire gender equality community in Myanmar sort of protecting him um, and that also won an award.
0: And have you, I mean, you know, especially your work in Myanmar where you were kind of correcting misinformation that the 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 army was putting out, was that dangerous? Like, was what what were the press freedom sort of parameters that you were working with and, you know, and also that you were kind of going against this narrative in, outside of Myanmar that um, Aung San Suu-, Suu Kyi was like this amazing democracy advocate and activist, you know, you, you're, you're kind of countering that narrative from what's happening on the ground. What was that like?
1: Yeah, I sort of, it, it was, honestly, it was thrilling for me. I, I I loved being able to, I loved having a platform to correct misinformation on, on behalf of the most persecuted people in the world. But I really had to check my privilege on that at, at, at one point when the, when the, Myanmar journalists working with me said that even though the work we were doing was good and important, it really put their, their safety at risk, um, more so than mine, because even though the government and the military could easily come after anyone who was, who, who, uh, who was saying anything that they disapproved of, they were more likely to go, go after local journalists. So after that, it became, uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't censor ourselves, but uh, I used... More sober language to to correct the misinformation, um, rather than going all out uh, in using uh, i don't, going all out with like the social justice uh, vocabulary. But yeah, I wasn't I wasn't the only one doing it, and so I have to I have to uh, deduce that the only reason none of us got in trouble was because we 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 were among lots of journalists who were committed to that that same sort of work, and some of them some of them did get in trouble.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's something that we try to keep in mind in your narrative, keeping contributors safety in mind, and it's something we're still working on. But it is, I think, a bit difficult because we work with freelancers. So that means that we don't always have the support of a bigger newsroom to to help people. But I think, you know, that's something that we're really thinking about this year. And I think you probably will have some input based on your experience as a freelancer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, both from my experience as a freelancer and for, uh, and from working um, for this uh, NGO in Bangkok called Focus on the Global South, which is, um, well, not an NGO, but an activist think tank, which, um, like, a, like a lot of civil society organizations, knows that there's power in numbers and you don't, you don't want to be the only one sticking it to the government. You want to have a movement behind you. So um, that might be one of the strategies for um, making sure that we can get our pro-democracy messages out there, but doing, them as, doing it as part of a movement so that none of our contributors are, um, are singled out.
0: Right. Safety in numbers. Yeah. So every editor-in-chief makes their own mark and steers the content in the direction they feel is best. What kind of stories do you want to tell? what kind of content or themes can members look forward to under your leadership
1: I'm really interested in stories that force our readers to think critically so there's there are a lot of there are a lot of areas that I want readers to think more critically about i want and and these are these are in large part shaped by the the last few months I've spent at focus on the global south which which wants People to question the, con- the con- conventional narratives about international development, um, and wants to identify things that, wants to identify patterns that may seem um, innocuous or seem to have noble intentions, but are in fact uh, insidious ways of, of amassing power away from the south and tor- towards the global north. Um, so I want, I want, I want to do stories that challenge readers' understandings of globalization. I want to, I want to challenge, uh, understandings of where our food comes from and how, how land is distributed, uh, how digitalization in cities, um, affects, affects everyday people about free trade agreements, about, uh, COVID responses that, that strengthen, uh, authoritarian governments. Um, and I want to do. I want to. I want to challenge these understandings in ways that are, that many social movements throughout the region are already are already doing. Some, most of them not doing in, in English. Um, so I want to make. I want to position your narrative as sort of a, a forum for social movements to get their messages out.
0: Yeah, I think in your interview that was something that that came across very clearly. Like you already had connections to more grassroots movements who are not known to us, maybe who speak and write in, read in English. And I think that was very exciting to me that you wanted to make New Narrative maybe a launching pad or like to uplift some of these voices that don't have access to, to English media. So it's something that, that I think I'm very much on board with. Um, and speaking about other members in the team, everyone, you know, work so remotely and we're all spread across different countries in the region. For most of us, we only have meetings with one another once a week. Has that been a little bit of a adjustment for you or is that not that unusual? Like what has it been like for you working with that kind of spread across the region and complete remote working?
1: Well, I've always worked completely remotely, uh, as, as because uh, I didn't have an office when I when I worked for Coconuts in Myanmar. And aside from that, I've always been a freelancer. So I've always um, worked. I've always uh, communicated. I always worked remotely for for editors who were based in another country. So that's not unusual for me. And I I really subscribe to the the meme about distinguishing between things that could be achieved in an email and those that require uh, a meeting. So, But th- then again, I, I really love talking to everyone on my team. So there's a fine balance that, I, that needs to be struck. Um, and I, I really want to make sure that everyone, that I want to make sure that, I, that I'm able to hear from everyone um, on a timely basis so that I know what, everyone, what everyone's up to, and that everyone knows what I'm up to. But I also don't want uh, people to be sitting on in meetings silently for hours, um, so I'm I'm still in the process of, of of finding that balance.
0: Yeah, I think you came on and we had like the first week or the second week that you came on board, we just had like so many meetings, uh, two hour long online meetings, which was like kind of uh, a struggle sometimes. So I mentioned that your role is partly leadership, right? How do you plan to foster a bond and build rapport with your coworkers while not actually working in the same room with one another? I
1: want to find out what makes everybody happy, and then, and then seeing how those things uh, relate to the things that make me happy, and then forming friendships around them. Um, it's, I, and I think, and I think I'm in the process of doing that. I. I'm gonna try to be as approachable as possible, and I try to be. Um, the truth is, I like to hear what everybody is nerdy about, and then having them rant to me for as long as they want about whatever, whatever like tickles their fancy, whatever they find super interesting. That's, and then I know, oh, that's the uh, that's the Star Wars person, that's the that's the Game of Thrones person, that's the um, astrology person, and I and um, and I support I support them, I support everyone. Uh, being interested in things and 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 having a, a space to discuss them and knowing that, you know, uh, knowing that I, I want to hear about whatever they're interested in.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, astrology interests <laughs> in the team. I'm sure at some point, you know, you'll you'll hear something about uh, <laughs> astrology. We're we're currently in Mercury in retrograde. I don't know if you know. Um, I know. So. I
1: do know. <laughs> I was referring to um, Mercury and Jupiter being aligned.
0: Oh, the Great Conjunction! Yes, yeah. That um, is the greatest
1: in our in our in our ga- in our solar system.
0: Yeah.
1: He, and I heard from my yoga teacher uh, that everything is going to be different now. And yeah. he said, I guess he said, I guess we'll see.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see. We will see. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I I I do think you know like you have I I can see that you have been building rapport in these in these ways of like trying to invite us to share with you you know things that we enjoy or like and I, what, one of the things you did in our first meeting at the start of the year is you asked everyone what their hopes and dreams were for 2021 so maybe you could share what are yours
1: my hopes and dreams are to, um, first, first of all, to achieve that goal of, of positioning New Narrative as, um, as a media partner for grassroots social movements whose, whose positions um, and feelings need to be heard by, by city-dwelling people, basically, and by the English-speaking world. Um, to telling stories that that challenge people's uh that force that that challenge readers to think critically um to make new narrative more famous to maybe win some awards um, and to get to know this team and our audience a lot better
0: yeah I think I mean I definitely hope some of those things come true for me it's like I I did a vision board at the beginning of the year. And one of the things I did was like write funding for New Narrative. And so, um, yeah, if you like this podcast and you've been enjoying it, listener, please donate new com slash donate um, or join as a member. Um, that helps us a lot. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to working with you, Jacob. I think that, um, this is going to be a, a great year, like despite all the limitations that we still have because of, of the pandemic, I, I do think that we have a really great group of people that we can work with and, and I'm excited to work with everyone. So yeah, I mean, I think I, think I, I, I just like, my hope is like we all um, can work better together. Um, and that's that's really just, I think that's a modest hope I have. <laughs> for 2021 but I think an important one at the same time um but yeah
1: yeah and I'm I'm looking forward to working with you too and uh and I'm looking forward to hearing from our readers so if anyone wants to get to know me better or ask me a question or pitch a story idea you can um you can send me a message on twitter which is uh which is goldberg but with a six instead of a g
0: okay so that's six old B-E-R-G on Twitter. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Jacob. Um, This was great, and um, I, I enjoyed this chat.
1: Yeah, thank you for this interview, Deborah.
0: We would like to thank all of you for your continuous support and for allowing us to keep doing the important work we do. Thank you also to Jacob for taking the time to speak with me today. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, our podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. Debra, wishing all our listeners a great week ahead. Jumpa lagi!